Good afternoon and welcome to today's podcast brought to you by Equine Devil's Advocate. Today being Saturday, not Friday. It was our intention to speak to you yesterday evening, but guess what? The bells, Esmeralda, the bells. Oh yes, more church bells. I don't know if they've got some competition coming up or if they're practicing for Easter or I do not know, but they went on for hours and hours and then it got rather late. And then, having made a podcast and listening back to it, I decided I didn't like it. I was talking, but I wasn't really saying anything. I did not appreciate my work. So I decided to bin it. Yes, delete it, get rid of it, and start afresh today. So thank you very much for your patience, everybody. Now, given that these things happen from time to time more frequently since spring has started to sprung, as it were, it crossed my mind that it might actually be more beneficial to do a random time set with the podcast. So rather than striving to produce something specifically on a Monday and a Friday, which has proved quite tricky of late, perhaps the answer is to find the time and produce quality of work rather than quantity. Do please let us know your preference. Um, it's something we are going to discuss and have a little chat about and see which direction we feel is the best one in which to go. Now, we are, of course, back out at the picnic table. It is a pleasant day. There's a little nip in the air, but there is some slight sunshine and some white fluffy clouds. There is a pigeon cooing, as they do, and Creaky Tree is getting the odd creak with a little bit of the wind. So I do hope your weather is also pleasant. And so today, on this Saturday, we are going to resume the story of Jack. Yes, back to Jack, the four-year-old racehorse bought to race initially over hurdles and then hopefully over fences. Now, as I said, this is at the nub of this story, but there is an awful lot more involved and intertwined and entailed. Very much a part of what goes on in the horse world. We have a particular sport that some deem very unsavory and some absolutely adore, live for. We have the purchase of a horse. We have owners. We have trainers. We have riders. We have responsibilities left, right and centre. And a problem emerges. This horse is hopeless, useless, disastrous as a jumper. Not bred to be fast enough for a flat horse. So what on earth to do? about Jack. The owners in question chose 
Step one: change of trainer. So let's take a look, a closer look at this story. Here we have four owners with equal shares, quarter of a horse each, as it were. They decided and chose to buy a racehorse. They obviously had visions, visions of themselves, booking dates into their diary, fixtures, and race meetings to look forward to and attend. Yes, get excited and dressed up and go and see their horse run. Now you may say it's all pomp and circumstance anyway, so hey ho, why bother? But for some people, it is the highlight of their season. So this did happen. The horse did run once, and though perhaps a day they would have loved to forget, that is very unlikely, because now on that day, because of that day, the whole landscape has. Changed rather drastically. Now, instead of having a young, promising racehorse, they have a problem. So, let's start conversation around this little topic. You see, now in conversation, we have to introduce perspective, and with perspective comes. Choices, and yes, of course, opinions. It's like the root of a tree, a family tree, if you like, a graph that goes on and outwards and up and on and outwards. Where do your thoughts go? Which branch of that tree is your instant perspective? True. It is something you are being told about, not seeing for yourself. But no doubt you have an instant thought. Ah, well, that's racing for you—a great leveler. Always the ups and downs. Send it to the sales and buy another. Or perhaps even, my God, the horse is only three. What do you expect? Or something along the lines of. Well, that horse should never have been there. It was ill prepared. He should never have been entered if he clearly wasn't educated enough for the task at hand. Or you could hear something like, "Ah ha! You bought a dud. Never mind. Life goes on." So you see straight away, many, many thoughts and opinions can emerge from. Outsiders, never mind the connections attached to the horse. What, for instance, would be the trainer's summation, the jockey's opinion? All these things are factors that lead to choices, decisions. Ultimately, supposedly, they land with the owners, and these four owners made their choice. To keep the horse and to find a different trainer, what compelled them to make that choice? I don't know. Could it be the love of this particular horse? Could it be that 
possible, possible Groundhog Day scenario of selling him and repeating exactly the same process once again. Whatever made them choose this decision, it was not an unusual one. But with it comes an inference. The inference that perhaps they were not quite so happy with the last trainer. It comes with the inference of some semblance of disappointment. And though probably not put into words, some level of blame. So, Jack arrives at his new yard like Paddington Bear with his little suitcase of baggage. Inside the suitcase, oh, some blame, some disappointment, oh, several opinions, and oh, yes, a big dollop of pressure. What a way to start a new life. Now, perhaps Jack's saving grace was his sweet temperament and personality, because Let's face it, there is another very strong branch of this tree of decisions and choices which are not so kind. They tend to, if it is deemed that the horse's temperament is not so pleasant, be met with a different approach, a harsher approach. So, luckily for Jack, some sympathy a little drop of sympathy was added to his suitcase. But remember, he was purchased and expected to do the job for which he was purchased for. And so, of course, as this tree begins to evolve and expand outward, there is another branch. It is the attitude of the trainer, the new trainer. So much of the method depends upon that attitude. Some of that attitude towards Jack could in fact be knowledge, fact. They could know the previous trainer by reputation. They could know that their own methods were proved more successful based on fact. They may also know that these bloodlines of Jack are, by experience, a horse that needs to be encouraged and nurtured and the best brought out in them. This, indeed, may be fact. Or, of course, it could be the complete opposite to be true. The previous trainer could be known to be a very, very good trainer and, therefore, this horse is a dud. It could be that his bloodlines are of those that are really successful, very easy to train, very straightforward. And Jack is an oddball, the black sheep, if you like. Or then there's a third. The trainer's attitude could be, this is the way we do things. If it works out, so be it. If it doesn't, so be it. But... Does that constitute training? To some, yes. And to others, no, it doesn't. More branches on the tree. And then, of course, in this attitude, in this accepting the responsibility of training Jack, 
What is the trainer's overriding priority? Is it to accumulate new owners, or is it to accumulate winners of races? How much benefit is there to any trainer's future or success spending time and running in public? What are described as no hopers, as it were. You see this everywhere in the horse world, in a professional sense. There is a real theme, a trend. In public, people seem to fixate on the bad, what they didn't like, what they don't want to see, and they seem to remember it. As, for instance, the awful dressage test. On a day full of good tests, they will remember the awful one, the cricket score show jumping round, the refusing event horse, the badly behaved show horse. You name it. That is where the focus of a conversation invariably goes. More branches on the tree. One could be from a perspective of compassion for the horse. One might say they deserve better than this by their very nature. They shouldn't be put in that position in the first place. Oh, but there it is—a little dollop of blame. The second branch. Oh, the branch of the critique. All the gremlins, useless horse, dreadful rider. Oh, the whole shebang. But some trainers will stand by their perspective, and they will say no. It is not worth it. It is not worth putting the time and the effort into a bad horse when you could have in that stable a good horse, a horse that furthers your career, your recognition, your success, which subsequently leads to better horses, more owners, more success. And let's face it, people: do we not revere success? In whatever form, so perhaps there is some validity to that perspective. Others, who perhaps are trying to make a name for themselves, will take on those that are duds, useless, and try and excel with even one particular horse to find themselves more noticed in the public eye. More intrigued by those to say, "Well, my goodness, how did you make that happen?" But right in the very centre of all of this conversation, choices, perspective, decisions, is a horse—a horse with a burden of expectation placed upon it. Is that burden fair? Is it right? Or? Is it, in fact, the way to take the horse to a better future? Is that potential better future driven by ego of the trainer or person at first hand, or is it actually coming from a place of compassion for the horse? What do you think? Is the most commonplace answer to that question. So, back to Jack himself, and this story really is an example of thinking outside of the box, without 
ego. It is a story about training oneself to look, to listen, and to actually identify the real problem, the underlying roots of this tree, where this tree has grown from and where it planted itself inexorably in the middle of this little horse's performance. Not an easy task. All expectations, mental, emotional, they've just got to be put aside. You have to drop them. All excuses, justifications, blames, opinions, you have to drop them. And all plans of what you are going to do in advance of doing it, let them go. Just find a way to look, to see and to feel exactly what is in front of you. No more, no less. And so, back to Jack. How does this unfold with Jack? What exactly does this look like? with specifically him. Well, let's start with what does he look like when he's walking, trotting, cantering, galloping, and what does he feel like? Well, the answer to those questions is, oh, actually quite nice. Very easy to ride, straightforward, genuine, generous. Okay, people. So when I say that, you can probably think, Ah, yes, I've got that, I understand that. Well, that is not the answer. Why not, you may ask? Because it's fluffy, it's woolly, and it actually doesn't mean anything. You see, this is a situation where the, or what do we call it, the critical eye that we all hate so much actually can become the observing I, which is such an asset. Combine that with a bit of openness to feel, not moulding, shaping, making, being in charge and riding. Just feel how it is, what it is, where it is. Now you have an opportunity in the making to identify the problem, the roots of the tree. It's not the answer to success, but it's the answer to the issue. It's the answer to the cause of the problem. You see, Jack's walk was very nice. It was even, it was active, it was forward, but it was quick. Well, you might say, what is wrong with quick in a racehorse? Well, quick is actually not relaxed. Quick is slightly short, and there is tension in it. Subtle tension that shows because it means it's actually easier for him to trot than it is to walk. The trot, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Well, in truth, it felt the same. Active, forward, but too quick. Lots of activity, lots of hock and knee action, but no real power in each step. 
Did this transfer to his counter? Yes, it did. He was, of course, quick into his stride, and yes, he kept up well with the pace on the gallops. But is quick too quick to be of benefit? A sort of scampering effect? Is it effective in terms of covering distance? Yes, but is it effective to bring out the best in him? I thought, no, it isn't. So yes, thought-provoking as ever, and it may well take a little time to get one's head around that. But if you just think about it for a moment, just because something looks and feels fast, doesn't mean it actually is. Hence, the hare and tortoise fable. More activity exerted within the space of time does not mean more efficiency of distance travelled, and the more activity, the less the efficient use of energy. So, for the first couple of weeks with Jack in training, this is what I did. This is what I saw. Now, I hasten to add, I was not the trainer. By the way, I was at staff, so I kind of kept my theory to myself. In fact, it was perhaps a little bit radical to say to a racehorse trainer, "This horse is too quick." <laughs> yeah, I had half an idea how that would actually go down. And then, of course, there was the jumping, deemed to be Jack's. Problem. That too is an interesting thought because was it Jack's problem, or was it only a problem because of his assigned role? But because the responsibility of his training, including the jumping, had been accepted and was being paid for, jumping was his problem in human eyes. So, for a bit more clarity, as it were, see for oneself, we ordered a copy of his one and only race video. Now, all the races are kept on record, lest there need to be a steward's inquiry, and things need to be looked at. So, for a period of time, they are available. Ay, ay, ay! Poor little sausage. Now. I stand by this. Still to this day, hurdles are mm, awful, really difficult to jump. They're not very big, and they are angled away. The object of the exercise is to skim over them. Huh, sounds simple enough, does it not? I personally hate the flipping things, and I think they are of no help to a young. An inexperienced horse. They are probably the one thing about racing I would change, given the opportunity. They are erected in sections and pegged into the ground, so that if they are hit by the horse hard enough, they can actually be flattened. But if they are just wrapped or tapped by a horse. They are like elastic bands, and they twang back towards you. So it's a moving landscape 
an absolute nightmare. Imagine Jack, three years old, novice hurdle, twenty runners. Jack is in sixth or seventh place. Short, quick stride, keeping up well with the pace. A couple of horses in front of him wrap the first hurdle. Hey presto! It twangs right back, just as he is about to take off. Another section flattens, and all this happens at a gallop. His quick legs can't really react any quicker, and he doesn't know where to place them. A similar thing happened at the second flight, and Jack, bless him, is done, bemused, confused, shell shocked, and out of the race. Is he useless as a hurdler? Has that experience finished him for good? That association with these birch twigs with orange borders. Well, you could say others manage; they get through it. True, but the fact remains: Jack did not. Now, with more clarity, we are back to the tree of decision. Is this something he can get past? Or do we say, give him to the neighbor's daughter? He'll make a lovely little show horse, provided they don't want to jump. Cut your losses, get a good one. They cost the same amount to keep as a bad one. Get the picture. One can climb the tree so many ways. Send him to a show jumping trainer. That's been done before, and with some success. Now, the trainer. For whom I worked was very hands-on, an ex-jockey, and very experienced, and certainly not someone renowned for throwing in the towel or giving up. And by some standards, he was also someone who was thought slightly to think outside the box. He chose the answer: poles, ground poles, back to basics. Was his approach, and so we did. We presented Jack with some grid work. He looked, he snorted, and he tippy-toed his way through the poles with very big eyes in walk. Then, into trot, a very different story. If the poles did not fit the quick trot of Jack, he trod on them. He tripped over them. He moved them. He rolled them, and he tried to go quicker, and once more got in a complete muddle, and then worried about it, and became very, very tense. Though we didn't actually do anything untoward. Hmm. So of course the next choice then becomes repetition. We are on the branch of the tree of repetition. Keep doing it till it gets better. Horses learn by repetition, but what if repetition just becomes repetition of the same muddle? Here comes the cry to follow that one. You're just teaching a bad habit. You're just encouraging and exacerbating the problem. Possibly a reasonable perspective, but where is the point at which to stop? You see. As the branch of the tree says, when you stop, you really ingrain that behaviour in that horse. Therefore, do not stop. 
But the truth is, it's not helping. We haven't actually helped the issue at all. We have gone about our solution, but with the actual problem itself. The problem being the quick, short, unchangeable stride of Jack. Now, I did at this point venture to say something along those lines. I tried, but seemingly I obviously didn't say it well enough or explain it properly enough, because it certainly didn't connect and hit the spot. So I just shut up and let it go. But not to myself. I still thought it was so very, very significant. So his training continues. His fitness work on the gallops, and his jumping training in a never-ending circle of scattered poles and tension. So there came the point. Leave the poles. They are not helping. Really, not helping. Nothing has improved. We have to change tack. We have to seek another method.、Hmm. Trainer said, "We'll use the small baby schooling hurdles on the gallops. The idea being get out of trot and into canter. A good canter. Get a bit of speed up. Okay, that too has been done. And yes." With some success on occasions, with Jack, not so much. Yes, with Jack, this the scampering became something almost interspersed with oh him closing his eyes at the moment of takeoff, sticking his chin up and stiff-necked and sort of pogoing off the floor like a startled cat. He landed on all fours, but was desperate to get quickly back into his quick stride once more. It was a horrible muddle, horrible, horrible, horrible. And the baby hurdles were actually about a foot and a half off the floor. Once again, more repetition of this, but no, it did not get any better.、Hmm. Next idea. Give him a lead. Yes, that too has been done before with some success in certain situations. Let him see and gain confidence from another horse. Giving him a lead could be a good move. Now, trainer's daughter had a very good jumping pony, a pony called Inky. Now, Inky was therefore destined to be the lead pony. So that was next on the agenda. How did that go? I wonder. Well, to sum it up in one sentence would be something like, "Oh dear God!" You see, Inky's gay abandon and enthusiasm was nothing that Jack could relate to. All it succeeded in doing was making him try to be even quicker. Therefore. He became even more muddled and upset and tense. So now his little Paddington Bear suitcase of baggage had a very big label on it: utterly, utterly useless, hopeless, a lost cause. And what comes with that? Oh, two branches of the tree once more. 
pressure. Make it happen or get rid. So, as a trainer, from the trainer's perspective, do you speak with your owners and admit defeat, though the defeat is not yours and the fault actually lies within the horse? It is a dud. Do you become that person that encourages them to cut their losses and find a replacement for them, take them back to their original dream of being at the races and watching their horse run in their colours? Do you find a replacement that you would want to actually take and show to the racing world rather than this current embarrassment? Or do you think further outside the box and come up with another idea for them, another possible solution with a sense of hope that might work. Your faith in me, owners, will be validated come hell or high water. You see, choices, 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 people. Perspective and choices, always plentiful. So, where did we go from here with Dragonfly, something, something unpronounceable in Welsh, a.k.a. Jack? Do please join us next time to find out. Our website page, www.equinedevilsadvocate.com, podcast page, Spotify, Podbean, Facebook, we hope, and Hurrah! Yes, episodes are on YouTube. It is working. So, until our next random episode of Back to Jack, I'm not going to say when it will be in case it doesn't happen. Um, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, do please take care, and we will, of course, speak very soon. <laughs>